now. This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on Macquarie Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. First edition news with Mark Van Aken in a minute. But it's less than a year now till the World Cup in Russia and the pieces of the puzzle are beginning to fall into place with first Brazil and now Iran this week confirming their spots. Tonight we'll be dissecting the Socceroos road ahead in light of the scrappy win against Saudi Arabia and the football lesson from Brazil. And with just two games to go to decide whether we go straight to the main draw or the tricky playoff route. We'll also look closely at our realistic expectations at the Confederations Cup in light of all this and ahead of the critical tie against Japan in a couple of months' time. And with Japan only managing a draw this week against Iraq, we'll talk first up to Fox Sports Asia's Scott McIntyre as the Blue Samurai's campaign just starts to get a little bit wobbly. And the other big news of the week domestically was, of course, the announcement of the Australian bid for the Women's World Cup in 2023. FFA General Manager of Women's Football and former Matilda Sarah Walsh joins us to go through how the bid will roll out, hopefully a little better than our last effort. Before we wrap up the opening hour of the show, continuing our review of the A-League season with our man Dean Hennessy in the second hour. As always, we'll kick off with second edition news, then a very special guest who would headline the show in most weeks if it wasn't for all the domestic World Cup news, a key member of the management team of England's under-20s World Cup squad, John Peacock, to talk to us about their win against Venezuela in the final earlier in the week. Then Dino to talk through all the international news, including the Kedem Federations Cup and a stack of World Cup qualifying results. And of course, we will wrap it up with stoppage time. Edge, what a week it's been in football. Been a huge week. I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to speaking to John Peacock because he is one of the doyens of uh, football development. Uh, he's a wonderful Englishman and he's achieved something in his career just last elder weekend. Elder statesman. Yeah, elder statesman um, and has guided the development of English football uh, at the youth level for a long time. And a good time. mate of Dino. And a good mate of Dino's, yeah, absolutely. But how about the Socceroos? A little bit of fallout to discuss uh, with all of us tonight about uh, the fallout of the Brazil match, that the loss and uh, where it leaves the team in, mm. in particular, leading into the Confederations Cup. And Ange Postacoglu, I'm sure he'll be uh, well and truly discussed tonight. Um, but great news. I think uh, another thing that would have probably led the show a few weeks ago was the announcement that um, yeah. we're, we're going to bid for the, the Women's World Cup in 2023. So that is a significant, significant announcement, especially, especially considering the environment that is around FIFA and mm. our recent escapades in the bidding processes, which weren't too flattering, Rob. Hopefully we'll get more than one vote. I'm sure we will. Mark, you've got some news for us, haven't you? Well, we do. As we've sort of already touched on, the Socceroos commenced their FIFA Confederations Cup campaign in the early hours of Tuesday morning for most of the country, late uh, Monday night uh, for people in the West, against world champions Brazil. And although they've sent a weakened lineup to Russia, Australia has Chile uh, to contend with as well as Cameroon. And the Germans, of course, we've got some chilling memories uh, down there in Durban of the last time we opened a major FIFA tournament up against the Germans. But, of course, the talk of the past week has been that mega-friendly, mega Michael, between Brazil and Argentina in front of 96,000 people and the Socceroos drubbing at the hands of the world's top-ranked side, four goals to nil on Tuesday night in front of nearly 50,000. There's been a bit of negativity from fans and the media, and Ange Postacoglu has been getting a little grumpy, which he's, you know, can do from time to time. And, uh, but although he's also displayed a little bit of sarcasm with the media this week, let's hear a little snippet of his professor before the team boarded the plane for Russia midweek. Oh, I'm sure they're sitting there this morning revisiting their curriculum and everything else as well, because if you draw to Iraq, it's an absolute disaster. Um, I think Korea lost as well, didn't they? Yeah, so... 
Look, I guess um, I think I said last week it's a reflection of football in the region. It's a reflection of football worldwide. There, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough road uh, to play, particularly you know. I know that the Japan team would have played in, under extreme conditions yesterday, you know, 38, 39 degrees, which we've experienced, and it's not easy. Um, and they, they battled hard, and it wasn't a surprise to us, to be honest. You know, we thought they'd, they'd get a tough game over there. And as you get towards the tail end, you know, people talk about the pressure being on us over the last couple of games in particular, but, yeah, the pressure's on the other teams as well. It's how you deal with the pressure. And, you know, we've dealt with the pressure in the last two games with two wins. Uh, you know, um, Japan are looking at playing ourselves and Saudi. You know, that's that's not an easy finish. And you know, Saudi are going to play UAE away, and so they're to play Japan. That ain't an easy finish either. It's interesting that he gave uh, a bit of a clip uh, at the beginning of that answer to pretty much uh, the media and the fans who criticise him. I don't think he needs to do that. Um, uh, I haven't spoken a lot, but I did work with Pim Verbeek when he was coach of the Socceroos for uh, those three or so years, um, fairly closely, and. Um, and Pim used to always tell me at the time that you've got to be forthright in your opinions, but sail above the criticism. Yeah. And as a the national coach, there's unless you're winning winning Asian Cups and World Cups, there's uh, there's obviously obviously at times a lot of criticism. Yeah, well, Pim doesn't get a lot of uh, raps um, for his time. We know that. I know you're a big defender, and I'm not taking the P15s here because he did do some very good things, Pim. But um, that is very sage advice and one I think Ange could do well to uh, to observe because uh, he, he's not winning friends in that respect to get antsy and narky against the people who love the game and who are the inner sanctum. He's entitled to get criticism just like anybody else is. He made dis- good decisions, he made bad decisions. Some of uh, those over the last week weren't the best, some were okay. You know. What I will say is they talk about the Sydney Mafia, they've spoken about it for 20 years, and it's definitely, um, I, there is an element to the, the Sydney media, and we know who they are because there's only a handful of them. Mm. That, uh, In fact, there's more than a handful. There's a couple of handfuls, maybe three handfuls, but um, that do have this sort of anti... A gaggle. <laughs> yes, a gaggle. Um, this anti-Ange agenda, and, and maybe Melbourne's part of it. This is a Melbourne-Sydney thing, but the reality is, um, look, I think... I can see it from both sides. I think he needs to just suck it up. And he's coached in Greece in the second or third division over there. Um, I remember talking to him about it back in the day. It was just like, you know, he said the local paper, he was in a relatively... Actually, no, it was one of the biggest cities in, in Greece, and I can't pronounce it, so I'm not going to try, but um, Panakeki something. Panathinaikos. Petra. No, it wasn't. It was Petra. Well, yeah. yeah, but the team was called Panakeki yeah, something. Anyway, the point is they had Petra, and they have five local papers, and he said and they would spend 10, 15 pages each day on what the local team's doing. So he understands the pressure of real football, and I keep saying this, if you can't stand the heat of being a coach, you're a player in Australia, and Trent Sainsbury had a bit of a sook this week too, which we'll get mm. to later. Um, then, boy, oh boy, you're going to struggle if you get over to Europe or, you know, and even even Japan. We'll talk to Scott McIntyre later in the show, and we all saw Rob, you were in the mm. mix zone, well, actually not the mix zone, the presser when Japan came to Etihad Stadium, yeah. and there was about 75 Japanese oh. media, and then there was only about 15, 20 Aussie media, and yeah. we are in Melbourne. So, anyway, we'll talk about the pressure that might be being applied over there. Now, Matt Leckie has spent half a decade in Germany, and he's just secured a move to Bundesliga middleweights, Hertha Berlin, because his own team, English Lark, were relegated. So that's a good lifeline for him. He spoke this week about Ange's bold aim of winning the Confederations Cup and grabbing some bragging rights over the Germans. Let's listen courtesy of Fox Sports. The boss made a pretty bold statement in the press conference saying we're going to the Confederations Cup to win it. How strong is that belief amongst the players that you can do something special at this tournament? Yeah, you know, I think in, in tournaments anything can happen. So if you get a, a good result uh, in the first game, um, the possibility is always there. I think um, there's no expectation for us to win it from anyone. So it's our job to, to, to do our thing and and play the football we know we can and um, try to surprise 
um, you know, the world. The first game's against Germany, a nation very close to your heart. You've played there for a while, and now you made a big move to, uh, to Hertha Berlin, a, a top side in the Bundesliga. How special is that game going to be for you? Yeah, it's always nice. Um, you know, obviously I've been there for, you know, five years now. Um, so I'm very familiar with the environment, um, you know, the, the, the playing style of, of the Germans. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the, with the individuals as well. So... You, know, you, you never know what to expect going out and into the game, um, but I think um, you know it's a special, special game. I'm um, I'm looking forward to to going back to Germany and hopefully um, you know giving it to them all for for getting a result. Now that was Daniel Garb with Fox Sports. I believe he led with Ange Postecoglou, who has put the expectation of winning the Confederations Cup, and then Matthew continued to say that well, there's no one's put that. Um, tag on us. Um, yes, your coach has. Is this right? I mean, a part of me is like, you look at Graham Arnold and all season, we're going to win, we're going to win, we're going to, we believe, we believe. There's, is there not a line between being confident and, and backing yourself and coming out and saying stuff like, we're going to win the, well, our aim is to win the Confederations Cup? Shouldn't it be our aim is to do the very best we can? And if we and if we do that, then anything is possible. I'd go along those lines. I know I'm not the coach of the Socceroos and probably not getting the job anytime soon, but yeah. um, nor am I a sports I psychologist. Is, there's, but, only, there's only eight teams in the competition and we're coming off. Yeah. But they're yeah, all they're uh, all winners of confederations. Yeah, yeah, true. But and and, and uh, we're coming off a hiding. So yeah, ostensibly yes, of course we're going there with the intention of, of winning. But I do agree it would make more sense to to just modify your uh, your hopes in public a, a little because you set yourself up for a kicking when um you know you, you potentially uh, uh, get a couple of more results like we did against uh, Brazil the other day. I'm not sure if we're going to have a chance later, Michael, but um, to talk to dissect the game. But the Brazil game, I mean, I thought we we're going to lose three zip going in. It is Brazil, and yeah, it was. A, People say it's a second string. It wasn't quite second string. It was a one-and-a-half-string one lineup. And the reality is they could field four or five teams that would beat almost every team in the world outside of maybe the top ten. So, And just to watch that the other night was sublime. Just watch mm. their touches on the ball, their passing, the speed of their passing. Bailey Wright learned something about how the speed of your passing mm. needs to be and that the weight of your passing needs to be at that level, obviously, mm. the hard way. But um, Tim Cahill wasn't good enough or fit enough to start for the second half of the season for Melbourne City, yet he started for the Socceroos. Now, you can be critical of that, but hang on. He's had no, he hasn't had a run for what four, five, six weeks. So, Ange was treating that as a glorified practice match because that's mm. what it was. So let's just tone it down a touch, shall we? Yeah, he used it as a preparation for Confederations Correct. Cup because that's what it was uh, the Confederations Cup games come very quickly uh, one after the other, and he'll need to use the squad, uh, especially in the in the latter two games. I would think, I think he'd go in with his best team against Germany, but with suspensions, you know, yellow cards, whatever happens in those games, and 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 people not coming up, I would expect Tim Cahill is going to have to play. You know, uh, you're in that squad, you'll get an opportunity because the games come thick and fast, and that's what it was. It was that. Ange did say that before the game that it was a, a preparation. Um, I have no don't have too many problems with with the loss. I thought actually, if you take out the first goal, which was a disaster, <laughs> um, you know the rest of the first half, I thought we were reasonably competitive with defensive structures that were pretty much going to go into the Confederations Cup with. And then there were so many substitutes in the second half. You know, yeah, well, for two thirds yeah. of the game, you know, between the uh, eleven second mark, as it wasn't yeah. the twelve second mark, as far as I'm concerned, because I recall looking at the uh, the clock, the tough. moment that happened, it was eleven, um, and the second goal on the sixty two minute mark. So we did the upside keep. Brazil goal for two thirds yeah. of the game. So exactly, and uh, uh, and I think um, the only downside to what you're saying, and clearly what you both have just uh, outlined, is is what Ange's motivation was, is that it's just a bad look. It's just a bad look to the uh, the general public because the the real football people in this country, you know, like with Patrick a bit of reflection. Smith. Oh yeah. well, that that was a pretty harsh article for anyone who wrote it's that. Pretty... Um, 
But that's the unreadable of, article. Of thought, but that's anyway. the nature of Patrick Smith. He's. Uh, but I don't think we um, we should spend too much time uh, with a, a bloke who, who whose whole no, career is up. built around uh, just whacking teams across all sports. Patrick, anyway. my middle name is Schadenfreude. Yeah, exactly. So moving on from him. So the, yeah, the point is that the broader public who who see the result, you know, it's just uh, it's just not a, a good image for the national side to get flogged that way. However, if we do okay. In the Confederation. We've got pretty quick, as it is, yeah. No, absolutely. Got time for one more? Yep. Well, actually, just staying on the Confederations Cup theme. So our rivals in Group B, Cameroon and Chile, haven't exactly had a great warm-up themselves, both going down against Colombia and Romania, respectively. Cameroon dealt a harsh lesson going down 4-0 against the South Americans overnight, so similar scoreline. Um, fellow group rivals Chile have also gone down in their final match, losing three goals to two against Romania in a closely fought contest. So, yeah, OK, the others in the group aren't exactly in great form. And as you said, Germany are taking an understrength team. Again, they're a bit like Brazil, where they can probably field two or three teams, but uh, it gives us at least a fighting chance in that first game. The reality is we're going to know after the first game, just like back, back in South Africa, if we've got a chance. Hopefully this time the manager doesn't pick nine midfielders in the team, though, Michael. <laughs> and I, I think that. he's uh, having a crack at me there. I think Wonder, he is. Fo- hopefully Fozzie and his gaggle of uh, Socceroos, former Socceroos captains, will be there to sign off in the team. Okay, let's leave that to right. Sean. All right, well done, boys. <laughs> stick, stick around, because we're going to talk to Scott McIntyre from Fox Sports Asia after back, because Japan is a team we really want to know all about, and they didn't do that well against Iraq. A one-all draw away during the course of the week, which helped our cause no end, which is fantastic. So stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most this crucial is Box goal. to Box on NPS News Talk Sport. We talked at length in the opener about the uh, Socceroos and their results uh, against Saudi and Brazil, of course. But the, the one, the bogey team for Australia, of course, is always Japan. And they're our next assignment in a couple of months' time. We were watching very closely their game against Iraq. And uh, it was a pretty good outcome for Australia. But Scott McIntyre from Fox Sports Asia, uh, the Japanese didn't quite see it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not the end of the world either <laughs> from a... From a Japanese perspective, what it does is, uh, I think, as you, you alluded to, it sets up a massive match uh, against Australia when they play mm. the penultimate uh, game in this qualification stage. I mean, it, I'm just looking at things. I, I live in Tokyo and, yeah. uh, and follow things closely um, up here. It certainly wasn't the, the result that they wanted, but there were mitigating factors behind it as well. I mean, it was uh, it was awfully hot. It was a, a played in a neutral territory uh, yeah, in, in Tehran, of all places, against Iraq. But, yeah, I think it was pushing 40 degrees. You know, during the first half, I had a couple of uh, drink breaks and uh, and this kind of thing. So it was certainly, you know, issues and concerns behind it. But it was, yeah, from a Japanese perspective, another disappointing uh, performance. You know, even leaving uh, aside the result, obviously they wanted to win. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think from watching them closely, they've got a lot of concerns. I mean, defensively, uh, particular, there's, there's a lot of issues uh, there even going forward. You know, they've got players uh, that uh, at, at some of the biggest clubs. Uh, in Europe, and are not playing regularly. And I think you know you've seen the, the signs of that uh, as well. Shinji Kagawa was uh, was injured in a warm-up match against Syria a couple of days prior to that, and he couldn't play. So there was a few injury concerns. So there was, you know, factors behind it. But yeah, certainly Japan aren't uh, in the best of form. I think you know, as a lot of people uh, would agree, that Australia are not as well. Yeah, exactly right. And um, I guess the point, you know, looking at it from the Australian perspective, obviously, uh, knowing that we've got the big test um, that coming up with Japan, uh, that um, that it really does throw Japan back into the mix and the opportunity for Australia to, to finish on top of the ladder. But uh, I mean, equally, Australia could miss out altogether if uh, the uh, the results don't go their way. Is there any conversation around Japan you know, dropping back to that third spot or 
It, very unlikely because un, UAE are only a mathematical chance of qualifying. So I mean, it looks like worst case scenario for Japan would be that third place playoff against what looks to be um, uh, Uzbekistan and then on to Panama if you get through that one. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's so nicely poised, this game, because I think if there's a winner, I mean, or if certainly Japan wins, they're, they're automatically qualified. And if Australia win with the, you know, the ties coming up, you'd think they're as good as through as well. So I don't know, it's all complicated with maths and, and all these kind of things, but permutation, but who can go through? But definitely a win uh, will take Japan through. So I, I think it sets it up to the point where both nations are really uh, going to be going going for it. I mean, and you've got to also remember the last time that Japan qualified uh, a couple of years ago in, in the run for Brazil was actually against Australia in this uh, home match. They, they played out a draw. KSK Honda got a late uh, a penalty and that, that actually sealed Japan's progression. You know, So I think they're looking at that as a good omen that the fact that they could do it and qualify against Australia last time. You know, The, the fact that they can do it again here. But uh, the, yeah, the, the way that things are, are poised, because Japan's last game is actually away in Saudi Arabia and if they mm. thought it was hot uh, you know, now it's going to be even hotter in six weeks' time or so, whenever they have to go across to, to Riyadh and play that game. So I, I think from a Japanese perspective, they really want to do it now. They want to get it wrapped up with a game to spare and, and not have to go over there into that kind of searing heat and, and deal with all those issues as well. So Australia too, uh, a win, uh, you know, puts them uh, in, in the driver's seat as well. So I think you, you'll see both, you know, both sides really try and go for it when that match comes along. It should make a, you know, make for a great game. Scott, you just referred to it. Um, obviously, Japan's last game is away to Saudi Arabia. What is the vibe in Tokyo? Are the fans, uh, the people on the street who are soccer fans, football fans, you know, they do they do worry a bit about Australia. So is, is there any nervousness, do you think, uh, associated with this game from Japan's perspective, with the fans at least on the basis that if they lose, they've got a very, very tough game? Yeah, I don't know if it's um, so much nervousness because as you touched on earlier, I mean, it's going to be almost impossible for the Emirates to overtake someone. So you, you know that even if you were to fall at this stage, you've, uh, you know, it's certainly not uh, an easy pass, um, you know, having to go through uh, against the, the third Asian nation and then across to uh, to an intercontinental playoff as well. But there is that kind of, you know, fallback uh, option there. But, you know, I think there's anticipation as much as anything else because there's, I think it's fair to say, probably a mutual, you know, respect between the two uh, countries from a footballing perspective. They've, uh, you know, won a, a lot of the the last couple of Asian Cups between them and, uh, and you know, the players are familiar with each other, having played each other. So for some reason, we keep drawing Japan. In all these we do, don't we? <laughs> whether it's Asian Cup qualifying, World Cup qualifying, yeah. I mean, all these nations that I'd love to go and visit, you know. I've never had the chance to get a North Korea because we never uh, get the chance to draw them in any of these things. But, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, the fans on the street are looking forward to it. The home matches here are always uh, sold out to be played at Saitama in, you know, the Olympic uh, Stadium is still being redone for the for the Olympics that are coming up here shortly. So uh, all the home games are at Urala's ground at Saitama, which is, you know, the fans are close to the action always. Great noise, great atmosphere. And, uh, you know, if you were going to qualify from a Japanese perspective, you want to do it against Australia, the Asian champions. You know, Japan was disappointing in that uh, Asian Cup a couple of years ago in Australia. So there's a well, chance to well, show the other, that... the other side of that equation is that Australia dodged Japan at the Asian Cup. We didn't get to defeat our nemesis on the way through to the yeah. through, through to the title. So it even it adds more to this game. Yeah, that's right. We did defeat Korea, though, and they've just gone and sacked their coach today uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, extraordinary. Not only did they sack their coach, the, the president of the, of the Football Association resigned as well, you know, in taking uh, issue, you know, with the result. Can you imagine that would be the case in Australia? You know, the, you'd, you'd see Gallup and, and, and the Lowys and all these kind of guys falling the coach. <laughs> Not likely. Um, <laughs> Can't see it happening. Speaking of Group A, Scott, we'd love you to talk us through um, 
Uh, whether, look, I mean, everyone is focused on, from an Australian perspective anyway, we're focused on who might finish third. And uh, Rob mentioned off the top that it could be Uzbekistan. But Syria, do they have a chance of finishing in third place? Can they catch Uzbekistan? Or is South Korea an option to, to finish third? And can Uzbekistan overtake them? Yes, Siri can, but I mean, even if you look further than that, I mean, it's not out of the equation that, I mean, there's not a team that's actually eliminated from that group. I mean, it's going to be very hard for Qatar and China down in the bottom to do so. But uh, Siri, yeah, I mean, you think two wins, and they've got, I think, a fairly easy run home. They're hosting Qatar. Nobody knows where that will be, but it may be back across. And Qatar has just sacked their coach as well. Sacking's all around the place. And, and then the Syrians have got uh, Iran uh, away in their last game, and Iran, of course, are already through, so you, know, you don't know how, um, how seriously they're going to be taking that. But I hope Syria don't. I mean, yeah. I, I, mean, I hope from the, you know, it's a great story and everything else because it's a war torn nation. The fact that they're doing what they are they're doing is a fantastic story, but, but they've done so, uh, I think, if you look at the, the games closely by playing fairly. Uh, I think Dower is a uh, is a generous description, you know, sitting back, uh, playing very deep, uh, looking to counter and take what they can, kind of, you know, from from set pieces uh, and so on. So it's probably not the greatest spectacle in the world, but uh, from an Australian perspective, if Australia was to fall to that position, you'd certainly hope it's a serious because they're eminently uh, beatable, whereas if it was either Uzbekistan or South Korea, it's uh, nations that can still cause uh, a lot of trouble, you know, whether it's Australia, whether it's Japan or, or, or the Saudis, whoever falls... Uh, that way, I mean, it's, it's going to be a very, very uh, tough assignment. Even though South Korea have had this run of, uh, you know, questionable results, the coach has gone. Uh, they've still got, uh, you know, a hell of a lot of good players that are playing regularly in uh, you know, massive competitions. And some guys that are playing regularly in the Premier League, you know, so they're definitely a dangerous uh, side. And uh, as are Uzbekistan, you know, the nation that have, have always been on the kind of brink of qualifying the World Cup. They're always getting to these uh, kind of latter stages and just falling at the final hurdle. And again, uh, you know, some fantastic uh, individuals in that team as well. So, yeah, whoever it, it's going to be from, from that nation, you hope it's uh, Syria from a, from a, a footballing perspective. But, uh, but, yeah, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a difficult assignment either way. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Fox Sports Asia. Scott McIntyre live from Tokyo. Now, you mentioned um, earlier on in this conversation that uh, you know Japan are are suffering in some ways from uh, um, a, sim- a situation that Australia doesn't seem to have as much of a problem with these days is is players with top-flight clubs um, sitting on the bench. I mean, apart from t- Trent Sainsbury, most of our players, even though they're not playing necessarily in the fl- top flights uh, around the world, in the competitions they're playing in, they're actually getting game time. So so you see that, yeah. as a, and the Japanese see that as a, as a major issue for, for the team. Yeah, I mean, well, that's been Ange's mantra all along, right? I mean, he, he only wants to pick uh, players that are playing regularly for their clubs. And it was the, the mantra of uh, Halil Hozbic, the, the the Japanese manager uh, as well. But, I mean, you, I mean, you've got a guy like Honda, for example, right, who's a, a guy that everybody in Asia knows. And he's, he's leaving Milan now, uh, you know, the, the conclusion of this season. But, I mean, he, I think he played uh, less than 20 minutes uh, this entire season at AC Milan. And when he's playing regularly and when, you know, when he's fit and... And match up. I mean, he's not just one of the, the best players that Japan has. He's one of the best players that uh, Asia has. So uh, for him not to be playing regularly is a big blow. He did uh, start that game against uh, Iraq uh, due to the, the injury to Kagawa. Um, but if it wasn't for that, he probably wouldn't have. Um, I guess, yeah, the only modifying factor in it all is that Yukitaka, the, the off-season in Europe, uh, would have come and gone by the time that uh, Australia and Japan uh, meet. And, you know, players that haven't been playing this past season will, you know, hopefully and, and likely move on to new clubs where they may feature... Uh, more regularly, and then you know that balances everything out. I mean, you know, the, I don't know how many A League guys are going to be in the 
in the soccer squad, but they'll have the, the disadvantage of, of not playing, whereas the, the, the J-League is midway through uh, its season at the moment. So, you know, if there was a, a decent contingent of players uh, domestically here, uh, they are going to be uh, you know, match fit, match, uh, sharp and match fit, and, and that may ever so slightly, you know, swing things uh, Japan's way. Hey, Scott, thanks as always, mate. Um, it's great talking to you. You really give us a, 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 a fantastic insight from uh, what's going on on the ground against our, well, not the old enemy, but a, an enemy in sporting sense uh, these days uh, in terms of football. And uh, we're all hanging out for that game. It's going to be an absolute cracker in a couple of months' time. No worries. Just before I go, I'll tell you, Japan, uh, I've got a uh, probably unlikely starting in Australia to be in the squad, a young goalkeeper, a 22-year-old goalkeeper called uh, Kosuke Nakamura, mm-hmm. who plays for Casual Race Life here. He is a hell of a player. One of the best, I think, one of the best uh, goalkeepers Japan has ever produced, and he's at a very young age. So uh, if he does play against the Socceroos, watch out for him. Mm, stand by. That wasn't a good way to finish, Scott. We want to know that you're <laughs> Japan's worst ever goalkeepers in goal. But uh, anyway, it'll be uh, fun to watch a, a rising star by the look of it. Thanks, thanks again, Scott. No worries, guys. And just for the record, I did say that Jorge Fossati, the Qatar coach, was sacked. He resigned, in fact, after he led the team to a 3-2 win over South Korea to keep their slim hopes alive. But, uh, hey, who knows what's going on over there in Qatar because they do things in a very different fashion. Now, stick around. Next up on box to box we've got the former Matilda and current GM of women's football at the FFA, Sarah Walsh. She's going to talk to us about another World Cup bid. This time it's the women's. Hopefully we'll get that one. Stick around. That's next on box to box Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial this goal of all. Box to box on NTS News Talk Sport on digital radio, streaming on many apps around the world and of course our podcast on box2boxnts.com.au Now last time Australia made a bid for the Men's World Cup we famously ended up with one vote. We're a lot more confident with our women's bid for the 2023 competition announced this week. To talk us through that very announcement, the General Manager of Women's Football at the FFA and former Matilda Sarah Walsh. Welcome to Box to Box, Sarah. Excellent. Thank you for having me. So, Sarah, I'm sorry I had to reference that um, sort of elephant in the room. But, uh, <laughs> That's okay. Let's get it out of the way early. Um, we were famously, um, uh, we walked into a sucker punch there. Uh, what can you tell us that gives us confidence that we are going to get a, a, a at least close, if not um, the ultimate outcome this time around? Yeah, well, it's, um, no, I'm kind of glad you brought it up. It is the elephant in the room, and it's, it's obviously something that we had to work through with the government to be able to get to where we are now with the, the Women's World Cup bid. So um, I guess that kind of reflects on, on how much work we have, have put in place to this point. Um, there's obviously a lot more to go over the next couple of years to, to obviously win it. But um, I think we did enough at, at this stage to be able to, uh, through, through uh, con- you know, consultation with FIFA and AFC to, to make sure that, you know, things have changed at FIFA and we've been assured that, um, you know, through uh, officially through FIFA that they they have uh, looked at the way that they actually um, uh, construct the, the bidding process mm-hmm. and such. And, and obviously there's, there's been a, a huge overhaul in, in terms of the management that's there and, and they've obviously been through uh, huge org, org structures and the way that they actually govern the sport has, has changed as well through the reforms. So we, we felt confident. Um, and, and there's a few things that are a little bit different about the women's game and the men's and, yeah. and also... Um, and our ranking like, is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Sarah, um, on that point, though, we, um, we, we as you, you, you mentioned the government support, uh, you know, with uh, the, the first bid that actually has government support. That's a positive uh, up against what it looks like to be Colombia and Japan. But it seems that we don't have the full regional support with talk of New Zealand, South Korea, Thailand uh, uh, wanting to put their hand up. Yeah, I think that's that's obviously some of the work that the, the bidding team will have to go through now and... Um, I imagine there, yeah, there'll be a lot of meetings, a lot of consultation there, and I think uh, obviously you, you just you just mentioned Japan's probably one of the, the key bidders, and obviously Colombia they set up a new league over there. Um, I actually think it's good. I think a healthy competition. It's good to know that these countries and the member associations are stepping up and actually taking this this quite serious. So, um, but we we actually have so many um, strengths towards our bid, obviously. It's a beautiful country, uh, but our participation numbers are absolutely um, skyrocketing and uh, obviously our league um, growing from strength to strength. That'll be our 10th season. Uh, we obviously only really had uh, Asia Cup here, which was, was hugely successful and AFC were quite happy with that. So um, I think we're actually in a very strong position and it's, it's fair to say that if we didn't think we were uh, in for a serious chance, we would most definitely not have gone through this process. Sarah, what can you tell us about the voting um, structure? Uh, obviously, uh, there's been uh, a lot uh, gone under the, a lot of water gone under the bridge with the FIFA Exco and uh, how they select World Cups. So, how is it different this time? Um, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, that, see, that's something that FIFA are actually working through, but I'm not close enough to be, to be able to, I guess, talk to the, the real details of how this is actually going to work. Um, we have Mark Falvo, who's head of head of strategy and international relations. We also have Emma, Emma Highwood, head of uh, women's football. So they're working on that at the moment. I'm not close enough to actually talk to the detail of that. Okay, and what about um, the, the, the other question that's a bit of a related question was, I think everybody was... Um, uh, who knows the contribution that Moya Dodds made at uh, at FIFA Exco level and um, and recently uh, fronted up to a, a vote and lost. There was obviously great disappointment around the football community that uh, Moya didn't win that election. How has that been um, received internally and um, the, uh, the 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 role that Moya plays uh, still at the AFC is significant? But uh, that must have been a bit of a blow. Yeah, it's hugely disappointing. Um... Obviously, we work very closely with Moira, and uh, I think it's disappointing in the fact when you look at what she has uh, been able to achieve through the reforms. She was basically at the forefront of, of that around uh, the quotas on the Exco for females, and uh, she was instrumental in that. So for us, uh, and it's not just that, she does plenty locally, um, and you can see that she was rewarded through uh, some local awards for uh, basically <laughs> female of the year. and. Um, but, yeah, she's, she's done plenty. Obviously, it's disappointing to not have her at FIFA, but she's still heavily involved at AFC. And as I said, she's still on the board at, at FFA as well. So um, we, we work very closely with Moyer and uh, obviously gives her more time to focus locally. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to the General Manager of Women's Football at the FFA and former Matilda Sarah Walsh about the Australian bid for the 2023 World Cup bid announced this week. Now, Dominic Bossy in the Sydney Morning Herald wrote a very good article this week outlining, the, as he described it, the murky road ahead for the, the bid. And uh, uh, he says here, uh, Australia's bid 
pitch hinges on the legacies of a successful tournament, infrastructure, the strength of the women's national team, the rising influence of Australians in women's football, including Dodd, as uh, you both just spoke about, Joe Setright on the FIFA Disciplinary Council and referee Tammy Oxton, and be- who became the first Australian to officiate in a World Cup final, which is a you know a, a massive. Uh, 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 point of pride for Australian football to have uh, one of our officials at that kind of level. So, you know, it's it's a, a, a really uh, detailed background uh, analysis that, uh, that that should mount a very strong bid, uh, something that, that a lot of the other countries around the world uh, wouldn't be able to, to command. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely correct. All those things, uh, Dominic's on the ball. It's... Um we're just we're in a space right now where, especially in Australia, that sport is for women is actually booming, and I think there's a, a huge gender equality piece that's that's really sparked um, underneath us. I think the AFL has done an amazing job in enjoying the party, um, and which has really just sparked something in. Won't in be the, winning the gold medal at the Olympics. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's it's really just been uh, amazing, and we're starting to see that commercial interest. And I think the government have had a, a huge. Um, I guess a play at that with uh, obviously discussions around how many females on board and and actually really just starting to to measure this internally and and we've actually started to do some work internally on that ourselves and I think that ultimately you're a better organisation when you're aware of all those things that um, that obviously impact female participation, how you run your league and obviously huge announcements like this. So um, we feel like we're in a pretty good space and... um, we, we do have a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of developing to go, but something like a World Cup bid, the interest that we're going to receive around that, it's uh, can't imagine being a young, uh, I guess, 16-year-old right now. <laughs> you know, in the in the Matilda's fringes, I, I couldn't even imagine what it'd be like to play on home soil. Absolutely. Imagine a Molina Rares who's uh, just turned 18, who's a top goal scorer in the Victorian women's uh, NPL, who's uh, obviously involved at Melbourne City and Young Matildas. Someone like that would be licking their lips with what's ahead for them, no doubt. No doubt about that. Um, Sarah, just speaking of uh, W League, um, what can you tell us uh, uh, about, um, if you can at all, about uh, the structure of the, t- of, the, of the league this coming summer? Uh, and whether it's going to remain at uh, nine teams or, or possible tenth team, I did see that Central Coast Mariners were told that they wouldn't be admitted next uh, next year. What can you tell us about about that? And and in, and will we get to a point where the W League might have home and away rounds before the finals? Yeah, really good questions. Um, and given that we're actually currently right in the middle of that process right now, working with the clubs and working with the PFA, I probably can't comment too much on the detail. Um, but as you see that um, decisions are starting to be made and, and you can see Central Coast come out with um, their announcement today. But look, the end goal, um, absolutely, is to, to increase uh, the number of teams, obviously opportunities for, um, for the young females and also increase the rounds. That, that's obviously the end game here. Um, but there's obviously a lot of things that we need to work through and, and see what kind of uh, conditions and environment we have for players at the moment um, as well. So... It's, uh, there's a lot of work that we're, we're currently undergoing right now um, and it's actually really exciting times and the, the good thing is that all parties at this point seem like that, uh, that we want to progress the league and, and what that looks like um, we'll seem to be able to, I guess, let everyone know in a couple of months' time. Good stuff, Sarah. Hey, Sarah, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. It's it's fantastic news to hear uh, that this bid's taking place. We'll be following it very closely on the show and hopefully uh, uh, in the fullness of time, a couple of years away, uh, we might uh, hear the uh, the, uh, the great news that um, the World Cup will be in Australia. 
Excellent. Thanks for your time today. Not at all, Sarah. Stick around. Next up, Dino is back as we continue our review of the A-League season. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now our former Notts County man, 250-game veteran of Victorian Premier League and Hume City Technical Director, Box to Box's very own Dean Hennessy. But Dino, before we get going... We know it's June, and we know in June, if you go to any Storage King, right across this wide brown land, you will get one month free. That is a guarantee from Storage King. So if you want to get one month free, if you need to move, shift, rent, if your business needs more space, if you're moving out of home, if you're going on a holiday, there is only one place to go. You dial 1-800-STORAGE, you go to storageking.com.au, you use the space calculator, you find out how much space you need, and you get one month free. There's no better deal than that around, is there? No better deal at all in town. Absolutely, mate. So get on down. All of our listeners, make sure you mention the boys from Box to Box sent you. They will take care of you at Storage King. 1-800-STORAGE, storageking.com.au for one month free for the month of June. It's only midway through the month, so get on in right now. Dino, we're talking A-League, and we're going through our review. Uh, where are you going to start us off with, brother? Well, um, we're going to actually review Sydney FC, the uh, the champions, but I think before we do that, there's been a little bit of movement around mm-hmm. the trap, so I think we'll just give not so much the boys who are going out, but more importantly, the boys who are coming into new clubs. So just quickly through the teams, Adelaide United, one signing, Paul Lizzo from the Mariners. Uh, we then move on to Brisbane Raw and Fahid Ben Kalfala from Melbourne Victory has joined, which is a very big signing. And Fahid has um, got a bit of a habit of um, of doing well uh, when the uh, contractors come out. He likes his year one. So yeah, that's great news for Brisbane Raw. Uh, Central Coast Mariners, there's uh, Tari Haraj from FC Groningen. 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 Uh, uh, Alan Barrow from Melbourne Victory, uh, which was an interesting one, but now yeah. seeing what they've re Suffered through missed opportunities, yeah. Barrow, didn't he? You know, just, uh, just couldn't play, didn't get played enough, did No, he? no, he did. No, he played regularly. Yeah. But, but I don't know whether everyone was convinced he was as good as what obviously people thought when they signed him. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Golak uh, has been signed from uh, Butchian FC in Korea and Andrew Hall from the Newcastle Jets. Uh, then Melbourne City... Interestingly, no ins and also no update on who's actually going to manage them for this season coming forward. So interesting times a little bit at Melbourne City. I think you're going to be looking for a coach hopefully soon so we can sign some players to bolster the squad. Uh, Melbourne victory uh, being, I think, some really good signings. Uh, Reese Williams from Glory. Thomas Deng has returned from PSV on loan, which is... Uh, I suppose, interesting. And I think Costa Barbarousas, which is most probably more the surprise from Mm. Phoenix letting him go. But, um, yeah, that's where Melbourne victory stand. Newcastle Jets. Now, I think these these have been most probably uh, the most most aggressive of all all of the teams so far in the the transfer market under Ernie. Uh, Daniel Georgieski at victory. Uh, Mario Chabal from uh, Wanderers. Roy O'Donovan from the Mariners. Costa Petratus from Glory. Glenn Moss from Phoenix. Dimi Petratus from Olsen Hyundai. And... As of this week, mm. Nikolai Topol Stanley from Hatter Club. So I think that is a massive signing. Really consistent performer in the A-League and at that level. Perth Glory, Scott Neville's joined from the Wanderers. Um, Jacob uh, 
Posco Alero from uh, Melbourne, uh, sorry, from the Mariners, and a boy promoted from their uh, youth, uh, a guy called Joe Knoll. So good luck to Joe on his first season. And uh, just before we go to Sydney FC, uh, Wellington is uh, Sarpeet Singh, which was promoted, so that's all they've done. But they have brought in, obviously, the new coach, which we talked about last week. Um, and then finally, and not least, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers, um, Kaya. Uh, Keanu uh, Bacchus promoted uh, Roly Bonavace from um, exciting player from Roley. Phoenix, which I think is a really good signing. Josh Wisdom from the from the Wanderers, from the Wanderers from Perth. I think from Perth. Yeah, it says Wanderers, doesn't it? I'm thinking, yeah. yeah, typo. Michael Thwaite on a free transfer. Uh, Abraham Mojak promoted. John Hall from Adelaide and Nicholas Saman promoted also. So good to see uh, the Wanderers going really strong with uh, their youth development. And big promises from the Wanderer CEO on a high-profile marquee player. So let's see what uh, transpires on that front. Any that will who that be. might be? No idea. Now, going, clear yeah. going to the champions, uh, no ins as yet, uh, but I think with, with the season they had, I don't know whether they need too many ins, but I'm sure there's going to be something cooking, there'll be something to announce relatively soon, but basically from... Most probably we should go there in reverse with uh, Sydney FC. Riley Woodcock, Bernie Abini going to Vancouver Whitecaps, Philip Olosko released, George Blackwood released, and George Timotheo um, off to Sydney, Olympi- Sydney Olympics. What did you think of uh, Philip Olosko being released? I just don't think they could fit it all in. I think he wanted to make sure he was playing regularly. Um, I think they've got the budgetary because obviously their their marquees are Milos uh, Ninkovic and they're obviously they've done a new deal for Bobo. So I think that's where the Philip Olosko thing then comes in a factor. And, and I think he wanted to go home as well or exploit better options for him to be playing regular on on the right deal that he wanted. And I think that's how that all panned out. And the coach, Graham Arnold, in the event that uh, Australia have a... Horrible Confederations Cup, and uh, for whatever reason, Ange Postacoglu is not coach of the Socceroos anymore. Uh, do you think Graham Arnold is the number one candidate to replace Ange Postacoglu in that event? Dino, what do you think about that? Well, I think when when, when Ange first got the job, it was uh, Popper or Ange was most probably the ones where we were discussing, you know, who's got the profile and and who's at what stage of their career. I mean, obviously, Popper had an unbelievable football career most probably more in advance than Ange did having played overseas and obviously a good career with the Socceroos as well as obviously Ange represented Australia but look I think Ange has got us to win in Asia and also you know we're going to this whole new program now with the qualification of this World Cup um but, Surely but we'd have to have experience. a shocking Confederations Cup and yeah. not qualify yeah. for the Cup Ange to, to go. I, I can't see. I can't see it either, and I, and I hope that's not the case. I'm I'm backing yeah. Anjin. He at least gets to the t- the Thailand game. Yeah, I think so. Case. But I think look, we've we've got some good managers. I think Popper's a really good manager. I think obviously Arnie's a very good manager as well. The way he rebuilt that team after the season he'd had the year before, and you know he took a lot of counsel from a lot of people. Uh, a lot of advisors from other codes and and I think sometimes when you're at that age and you know you might believe you're a bit stubborn and don't want to change your ways he believed that he could rebuild himself and you know if you talk to the staff and the playing group they just love working with him at the moment because he's in that really good space so I think from uh, my point of view I think it's going to be a tough task to overhaul the Sydney FC team especially if they sign something with a real bit of quality just to spice that up as well but I think even if he just goes back to back dinner I think they can I really do um 
I think uh, the, the distance of what they what they did last year compared to any year that I can remember, really, this was an outstanding season, apart from the Brisbane Raw season when they went undefeated. But this was far more prolific, I think, with the number of games that were played. Thorough analysis, Dino. Um, thank you very much for that, brother. Now, stick around, because after the break, we've got a, a really interesting chat with a key member of the management of the England Under-20s World Cup team, John Peacock. He's going to talk to us about the winning World Cup final in the Under-20s. Dino to go through the international game, all the World Cup qualifiers. And we will wrap it up with a Confederation Cup edition of Stoppage Time. That's all coming up on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box. After a big first down, we've got an equally big second one, second edition news shortly, and then we'll chat to a key member of the management structure of England's under-20s World Cup team, John Peacock, and a men a friend of our very own man, Dean Hennessy, who will stick around for that conversation. That's going to be a real good one after they won the World Cup final earlier in the week. And, of course, Dino will return later to go through everything in the international game, all the World Cup news and the Confederations Cup coming up uh, in the, the next few days. And then we'll wrap it up with stoppage time with Marco, who is the very next voice you are going to hear, Van Aken. Now, Socceroo Matt Ryan is expected to line up for Brighton and Hove Albion next season after the Premier League new boys reached a deal worth about $9 million with the Liga side Valencia. Spanish media reports that an agreement has been reached between the two clubs pending the green light from the 25-year-old keeper. He'd be nuts not to do it. Valencia had hoped to bring Ryan back from his loan to Belgian outfit Racing Genk and Sal Diego Alves, but the Seagulls are understood to have put a firm offer on the table. The Australian expressed a desire recently to return to Los Che and fight for the number one jersey, but mate, Get yourself to the Premier League, son. Mm, yeah, so so great contract if he's playing football. Is he? I, I well, understand he will be. The yeah, manager has moved. Be... Uh, sorry, the current keeper has moved on. Has he moved on, or he's he moving has, on to he, either Man United or Chelsea? Where did he go to? I'm not sure where he went to. I think he's stayed in the Championship actually. Um, but uh, what was interesting was that uh, the manager did say that he's been signed as the number one keeper. Mm-hmm. He, the club wouldn't uh, outlay the money that they have. It's the, a record club say signing in terms of money that they've expended and. Um, so good, good for Matty Ryan. Fantastic for uh, Australian football. So uh, yeah. um, get your Optus subscriptions, people, because you'll watch Matt That's Ryan right. go around next year. And you know what? We talk about season, the, sorry, the golden season. generation, and, and we talked in the, off the top of the first hour about the Socceroos and growing and all this sort of stuff. We need players in the yeah. Premier League because, yeah. again, you go back to 06, and most of the blokes played in the Premier League, if not that uh, La Liga yeah. and the City are now. We're finally, with Aaron Moy, it seems almost certain he's going to end up there. There's yeah. now a number of clubs willing to pay the price tag to, that Man City have put on his head. So yeah. at least finally, we've got two players back in the Prem who are probably going to play, I guess, depending on where uh, Moyes ends up. But you think it's... Uh, yes, Michael? Now, what do you think of the talk about James Troisi joining him at uh, yeah, Brighton Hove yeah, Albion? Yeah, which is breaking uh, in the uh, last 48 Which hours. is, uh, there's quite a bit of talk around there about that. Troisi's yeah. made comments that he's not... Well, he's going, not going to be at the victory, that's for sure. That's right, he's, yeah. but he's, he's not going to be at the well, victory. Well, you look uh, flabbergasted over there. Flabbergasted, flabbergasted. Yeah. I am... I just don't understand James Trussie. I just don't understand. The kid has gone from club to club to club. He's never really settled in anywhere. He has an opportunity to bet himself in at the victory. He looked good he's against saying, Brazil the other night. I thought he was one of our best throughout the course he was, of the He was game. pretty decent. And the reality is he certainly looks more than decent in the A-League. And he's just got stars in his eyes, this kid. I know he's 20... Well, kid, he's not kidding anymore. He's 29 years old. You know, played at Newcastle and Juve. I struggled to find the match footage on YouTube today. Um, you know, just, you know, is he going to play at Brighton? 
Mm. Is he? If he is, great. And, and hey, I'd love him to prove me wrong. Go to Brighton and, and tear it up in, in How many players have gone from the A-League to uh, starting Premier teams League, in the yeah. Premier League? Yeah, yeah well, look at Aaron Moy. He was the best player in the competition. Had to go to, to what was ostensibly a, a struggling championship side and just turned out to be the, the best possible yeah, result. Was, but he had to work through the entire season to get to where he is right now, didn't he? And he, he did, and that's right. So, I mean, again, if he wants to go to a Prem club and sit on his ass, sit on the bench... Mm. All season, which is odds on what would happen. Again, I, I just question where he's going. He's 29. Maybe he's looking for a big payday. But at the end of the day, now he's saying he's had. Well, he he and his camp are saying they've had no firm offers from the victory. But yeah, but what would you do, not, Mark? Then the victory if they're not going to offer you the marquee money in Australia, and you can get a contract worth twice the amount of a marquee money minimum to not play. To, to, well, you tell oh. me what you do. Well, I'm not a footballer, but if I was a footballer, Rob, I'd, like, I'd go somewhere where I can play football. 29 years old, okay, he's got uh, probably you know five, six years maybe left, and he's getting a massive contract, uh, I think. Well, it's it, would it be massive? Well, it'd have to be, wouldn't it? It'd have to be more than the marquee money that he's question yeah, know, Rob, getting offered here. Question for you, Rob. If you're mm. Melbourne at Victory and uh, you've got money for a marquee player, and would you spend it on James Troisi or Mark Milligan? It's funny you should say that, Michael. Well, defence wins big matches and big titles, so uh, you might suggest Mark Milligan. But and that's strikers my... and goal scorers are uh, very difficult to find. And they've and... got Barbarisis back in the uh, setup now with victory. Yeah, we don't want to take. Uh, we, we we talked a little bit about this with Dean earlier, but we don't want to. Uh... Rehash this, but uh, I'd be spending the money on Mark Milligan. Yeah, but I'm not arguing the case that Victory should sign him up as a marquee. I'm just arguing the case that Troisi, if he's being offered a big contract, should take the money. Oh, and I agree with that too. Yeah. But Mark's go. got some news on Mark Milligan. Well, we've sort of covered it off. So it's uh, odds on at this stage, it seems, that he'll return to Victory as the marquee man. His uh, current club, Banias, has just been relegated from the Arabian Golf League after winning just three games this season. Milligan signed a multi-million dollar two-year deal with the club and played his final game last month, has made it clear his preference is to move on. Milligan, of course, was one of the Socceroos players that could really hold his head high. Is Miller Yedinak in a bit of um, trouble with this injury um, and Mark Milligan uh, doing so well against Brazil and getting the front uh, position? Well, some some game? say we're better with both of them playing, and I think, mm. but for me, Millsy can be a lot, can, he's obviously in that holding position, but can be a lot more offensive, become a real weapon. So, yeah, I think so. I think um, Miller Yedinak, uh, yeah, he had a bit of a Indian summer this season once he got to Villa, but um, but um, about to say Villa, wrong country. Um, but when he got to Villa, had a decent second half to the season. But um, yeah, it's not a great time to get that sort of injury. He's been a mainstay of the team. He's been extremely reliable, dependable, and a great leader. And those people who are suggesting that his time with the Socceroos is finished want to have a good hard look at themselves. No, we're just suggesting that if Mark Milligan does really well at the Confederations Cup and then he Which owns he will. the spot, then, then uh, Millet, you might just but be in the middle. Millsy is, uh, is a bit flexible where he can play. Mm. And Millet's not, so that's why I might be in trouble. Now, because uh, you can put Millsy in that spot and then use someone else more creative. Look at, that, that's hard look at yourself, Mark. <laughs> don't. Yedinak, he's don't, in trouble. Don't just be ask Tony uh, Abbott. doing those things, mate. He's sitting at the back of the room screaming out at the PM and he's saying... Mike Ednack's in trouble. Now, the 20, and we touched on this with Sarah Walsh in the first hour, very well spoken. Um, 27-18 W League season will commence with just nine teams with Football Federation Australia, confirming that Central Coast Mariners' application has been delayed. What a shock. 
FFA just are really hell-bent on not allowing new teams in the, to their competitions. FFA's correspondent stated that its position in relation to a 10th club will be revisited in 12 months, at least as a time frame, so golf clap for that. The confirmation also outlines several issues to be resolved, including a requirement for adequate change room facilities at Central Coast Stadium for A-League, double, W-League, double-headers. Now, I find this laughable because guess where Canberra United's TV games are played throughout the season at FFA's bequest? Bequest? Behest? Central Coast Stadium. Central Coast Stadium. So Canberra, because it makes sense, you know, Gosford, Canberra, very close. Um, So that's where it hasn't been a problem throughout the season. And the reason they do that, by the way, is because they've already got the TV facilities because they're covering the men's game. So I don't really get what they're saying. They're saying that uh, the Mariners have come out with a statement uh, just uh, yesterday, and they're not happy. They've undertaken two years of strategic planning and committed resources to, inverted commas, make sure our W League side is successful right from the start. Try doing that with your men's side, by the way. The financial capacity to match the current club resourcing of W League teams, securing long-term sponsors to ensure viability of a W League team, and developing and implementing player pathways from grassroots to the W League. So, no, well, she was a bit tight-lipped on this, but um, the only gift-saving grace is with nine teams. That obviously means we can probably, hopefully, Michael, as you touched on, have a 16-team home and away season. I hope so. We need it. I think it's a joke that it's not like that. Oh, it is. It's a joke. Rob, what do you think? I concur, and um, I'm surprised we didn't ask her that question. So maybe we need to get her back on, and we need to be a little bit harder with some of the questions we ask and suggest. We did, that Michael. That was the last question he asked. Rob, you're not listening. No, no, no we didn't yeah. go that hard. I, I know we, no, it, well, what I'm it saying. It wasn't is a South I, Melbourne I, person on the phone. He couldn't. He couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to. Um, Who has a daughter? Sure his blood, can... beloved Heidelberg, I might add. By the way, how the burgers go? Actually, that's a next news item. That's fine. Maybe for stoppage time. Anyway, Michael, over to you. No, I'm done. <laughs> You're yeah, done now. Thin-lipped yeah. and ashen-faced over there. <laughs> now, former Leicester City title-winning manager Claudio Ranieri has found a new home in France, signing a two-year deal to take over as the manager of French League One side Nantes, which is a, which is the esteemed Italian's, can you believe, his 17th job <laughs> in football over a 30-year career, of course, being sacked by City back in February. Now, interesting one with this one, boys. Did you know in France they've got a mandatory retirement age? They don't let you coach over the age of six or manage over the age of 65, mm. he, they had to get special dispensation from the French uh, FA, the Triple F, whatever it is, French uh, Football Federation, mm. to allow the Tinkerman to come and uh, coach, to become a Nancy boy, as they used to say, an allo, allo. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. He deserves it. He, he deserves another start. We'll find out uh, whether he's going to, uh, you know, be remembered as uh, as the, the one-hit wonder with Leicester or, uh, well, he did some good things at Chelsea, but, um, but uh, he... Uh, yeah, he's either got it or he don't. We will find out. Well, someone who uh, I think had it the other night against Brazil as well was Socceroos defender Trent Sainsbury. Um, oh, he is God. sick and tired of the constant criticism being directed at the national team. So we touched on this earlier. The 25-year-old centre-half said, even after Thursday's uh, 3-2 win against Saudi Arabia, so this is early in the week in Adelaide, it feels like everything the Socceroos do gets criticised these days. Sainsbury called for support. Uh, ahead of the Confederations Cup, um, it's a nice uh, for us to have a group to stay together and get three points. We won't be worried. We won't be worrying about people on the outside. It'd be nice for the Australian public to be on our side of the fence. Come on, Trent. Oh, the Australian right. public not is the on your side. Oh, He's very active in social media. He needs to get off it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the 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 home of of, of negativity. Social media, as we all especially know, especially since it's where Mark makes his living in the home of negativity. Especially since I'm very positive, mate. Um, especially since um, you positive, you he has got day. to get. You know, let's face it. If he doesn't stay at Inter, he might have to head back to Jang. 
How does he tweet over there? They don't even have Facebook over there, do they? They've got another version. He's got an internet connection over there. You can tweet well enough over there. Yeah, you must. No, but the old um, satellite phone over there, Trent. I think Trent um, just uh, might dial it back a little bit because uh, (laughs) you know there's uh, a lot of positive uh, publicity. Having said that, he's one of our most important uh, defenders. And uh, no, I'm just yeah, but just in terms of that opinion, because he's wrong. Because so many people. I mean, you had um, 50,000 people turn up on a Tuesday night in Melbourne alone to see a you know a friendly and pay top dollar. Let's not forget. I mean, it was a 55 bucks was the cheapest ticket you could get for a 15 year old. 110 dollars for a full adult ticket. I mean, please. Yeah, they still got the that's not Cat C though, was it? Mate, they were expensive. This that is was... what this is what people don't get because the especially the other night they deliberately packed everyone on the southern stand side of the ground for for broadcast purposes. Oh, I, yeah, I think so it was also was the small factor that the members didn't want to pay the extra ten bucks to no, uh, well, that's upgrade the, the, their the members was, was empty, but then also the top of the Ponsford and mm. the Olympic stands were also pretty sparse. Mm. But the point is that was by design. So, so mm. the thing is, I was sitting sort of centre wing in the southern stand, mm. and yeah, it looked pretty crap from where we were because all you can basically see is 50,000 empty seats. Yeah. But the point is, if you're on the other from side... from where I was looked... in, I was sitting in the media box, it looked oh, pretty full. Oh, hey. Head wobble there. Well, you could have, mate. Just get some accreditation and you'll be corporate sitting right beside me. Oh, I didn't uh, to get the media pass to someone else. Was you're that not allowed cor- to do, corporate, actually. No, cor- I didn't do that. Corporate function, um, was that? No, sorry, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I think I ate yeah, I think party pies. I, was, I, was, I, never, I would have thought you were there. It was a chemist warehouse Look, one. Look, listen up. Hey, 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 hey. Can we just get a serious <laughs> message out to our listeners, please? Uh, the pricing for this game was incorrect. It was too expensive. Yes. And um, There's 50,000 people there, mate. That tells you that it wasn't. But it could have been 80,000 if the pricing had been correct. Yeah. All right. And, okay. well, anyway. All right, boys, let's dial it back the way we're encouraging Turn Sainsbury to do. <laughs> well done, Marco. Thank you. Next up, we're going to talk to a key man, member of the management team of the England Under-20s World Cup squad and a very good mate of our mate Dean Hennessy, who's going to God join the conversation, see, Johnny man. Peacock. What a great result that was. Sainsbury just needs to turn the other cheek. He does. Uh, well done. To- Boom, Tish. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most yes, crucial This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport. Now, in 1966, England's men won their one and only World Cup, and 51 years since have been littered with heartbreak for the national side. That was until Monday this week, when their under-20s team broke the 51-year drought to what the country hopes will usher in a new era of success. And it's our great pleasure to have a key member of the management squad of that winning team who also lead those young boys to European glory in 2010 and 14, John Peacock. You were just 10 years old in 1966. Congratulations and welcome to Box to Box. Uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, it's, uh, we've managed to sort of finally get rid of the, the ghost of uh, 66, I think, really, which, uh, you know, as you said, 51 years without sort of any world title. So, um, yeah, it was a great achievement. Um, in terms of myself, I mean, I, I, I went there this time, not as the manager, but basically as a as an advisor to the whole group, um, the, the staff were relatively new in terms of international football, very experienced staff in their own right in terms of uh, managing and coaching in, in England. Um, but international football is different, and I think the FA asked me just to come back in a consultancy role and, and just advise the group um, throughout the, the duration. So I, I absolutely loved it, and uh, not, on, not a bad gig to get on, really, is it, really, when you <laughs> win a World Cup? Absolutely, mate. And the uh, you know the media these days, social media in particular, uh, we uh, we know that the, the entire country was not only well aware, but um, the uh, the game was played live on BBC Two as well. Yeah, I mean that was that was a late um, a, a late decision, I think. Uh, obviously, we'd been been away for such a long period of time, and 
as we steadily started to progress through the tournament, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a move uh, back in England to, to be uh, watching and taking note. Um, and obviously, it's, it's covered on Eurosport back in uh, <clears throat> back in uh, Korea. So it, it was nice that the the national um, TV, if you like, of, of the BBC took it, um, and, and that was a great. So it gave more people a chance to uh, to see what was unfolding, really. And obviously, we came out at the very end with the with the victory that we all wanted. Absolutely, uh, John. But uh, how does it feel uh, when you're dubbed by Henry Winter, who is probably uh, one of England's, if not the world's most uh, prominent football correspondents, as England's most successful coach? Well, that's very nice. And, uh, you know, it's very nice to Henry to say that. I think I've been doing it a, a number of years. I mean, interestingly enough, uh, Paul Simpson, who was the, the head coach on, on, the, on the World Cup, uh, literally he's only been in, in the FA six months. He's had a, a very good career as a football player and as a as a, as a manager himself, but he's come in now on the back of six months and, and managed to, and, you know, obviously achieved a World Cup victory. I've been doing it like 15 years and, <laughs> you know, I've managed to get to where I've got to really, but uh, I've had a lot of experience, I've had a lot of internationals, um, but I've also managed to have some success along the way and I, I think that's, um, I've loved every minute of it, you know, to sort of manage and, and, and be part of your, your country's footballing history. Um, you can't get much better than that, really. So, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. And it's nice to, for Henry to say the words that he did. Certainly is. And if you read that article, and uh, we'll actually put it uh, up on our website for our listeners around Australia to have a look. Uh, John, you have a, had a remarkable career, really sensational career. And you've been really the bedrock of England's uh, football development programs over many years. Um, it's very hard to encapsulate in, in a few words, in a few minutes, um, what it must mean to actually uh, hit the pinnacle. I know you were an advisor this time uh, with this team, but um, what what did it mean to you personally to be involved in uh, in a in a team that's uh, been able to, to win a World Cup? Uh, it means everything. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm 61 now, and I've probably spent most of my working life either as a footballer or as a coach, and and, and as I said, to, to sort of manage at the top level with with the best players in England, you know, young, the young best players in England. Um, it's been a privilege. Um, I've seen many good players come and go. Uh, I've seen many players that have managed to, you know, reach the top of the profession uh, and sustain it. Uh, I think this group in particular, um, the 97-year group, as we as I classify it, the ones that I won with in 2014, the, the bulk of these were, were out in career as well. You know, at least half of them. So that that just encapsulates what really development's all about. That some will maintain that level of performance uh, and, and go on to bigger and better things, and some will just as you say, reach a decent level in football, but not quite reach the pinnacle. Um, what it means for me is, is, is that I've had a bit of a, uh, a help, if you like, uh, along their journey. You know, I've supported them and I've been part of their sort of uh, development. And, you know, there's nothing better than to see then these players hopefully go on to, to, to the top of their profession. And I'm sure that there'll be a few out of this group that probably will do that. Um, so all in all, uh, yeah, I'm a very proud Englishman and I'm very proud of, of what I've managed to, to achieve myself personally, but more importantly, as I said, you know, give many people the opportunity to, to, to reach their level of performance. Now, this is going to be a first, John, because I normally call you Peaky, as you well know, as I, <laughs> I you, you call me Dino, so we're pretty close yeah. and go back a long, long way. But one, from my point of view, I've known you for a long time and been a real good mentor to me. Uh, I'm really proud of what you've achieved 
And uh, what I was most probably interested, especially for our listeners, you know, is with regards to Paul Simpson, you know, a little bit of background on him and also where where you were, you know, designed there to help him and assist and what areas that you were covering yeah. whilst you were over there. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, Paul's had a illustrious career as a, as a player himself. Uh, started out at Manchester City and, and had several other clubs along the way, you know, Derby County being one of them, which, again, is a club close to my heart. Um, and then Paul really went into management. He managed at Preston and, and Shrewsbury Town. And then more recently has uh, been sort of the number two to Steve McLaren in, in several positions, you know, one at Derby County and, and one recently at, at Newcastle United. So uh, I've known Paul. I took through Paul through his through his pro license, you know, about ten years ago. Um, so in terms of his development, I think you know this is the first time he's worked at the national level with the FA. And uh, as I said, he just dropped onto it really, really well. Um, a wealth of experience. So what was my role with that? Um, was really just to offer advice around the differences between international football and, and club football, where you're working on a weekly basis. Um, this is. You know, really, well, we've managed to do seven games now in in 21 days, you know, so it's really, it's a bubble. You're in a bubble. And what I was trying to do was, was just offer advice when, when requested, when, when I can see things. I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm, I'm seeing what the coaches are doing and I'm watching around the players. And, and it is really one of an advisor capacity. So, you know, I'm not in there coaching on a daily basis with the players. I'm, I'm just overseeing and just looking from a distance. But the important part of a mentor is to is to pick up, I think, on things that you think, you know, have you thought about this and what about this situation? This happened to me, etc. you know, so many years ago. This is what I did. And then it's up to the head coach and the coaching staff then to, to take it on board or not, you know. But we've come through it and... Uh, come through it with, with, with flying colours so you know I'm pleased with everybody This is Box to Box on NTS News Talk Sport we're talking to a key member of the under 20s World Cup winning England side uh, the management of course of that squad John Peacock yeah, look, another question, John, uh, to the final itself. I mean, uh, we all tuned in over here in Australia. Uh, it was on Optus on our network. And uh, from, my, from my point of view, from being a purist, it was one of the best football matches and finals I've seen for years. And I just want you to highlight just a couple of big points and factors in the game. Obviously, the penalty save will come to mind. And was it a penalty in its own right? And just the game in general. OK, yeah. Well, you know, we've been watching the Venezuela, you know, progress throughout the tournament. Um, they were really a very, very good side. Uh, I mean, I, we then watched a lot of DVDs of them, you know, prior to the final. We, we knew they weren't going to change the game plan drastically, or we didn't think they would do. They were very much a 4-4-2, very much on the front foot, um, you know, tried to pressurise you, you know, trying to get the, the ball one high up the pitch. Um, so from our point of view, it was one of being uh, composed, uh, not fearing too much pressure when that pressure comes on top of you, you know, to work through the press. I think once we worked through the press, you know, then we got onto our back players. It, 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 you know, that was the hard part. And once we did that, we, we felt as though, for this group in particular, they, they could always score goals, you know. So to then finally get our nose in front of 1-0, we, we was on the right footed. Um and then the second half really was 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 amazing. Um, it was too open from our point of view. If you look at the coach, we, we, we felt it was it was a fantastic spectacle. I'm sure for everybody, but for us as coaches, it was you know we just need to put the reins on this a little bit. But you have to give credit to Venezuela who, who tinkered with their sort of formation, brought on you know an outstanding substitute um, with about 30 minutes to go, and we were really under pressure. Um, 
But then Freddie Freddie Woodman doing what he does, I think he's probably it's might a penalty. So we're not we're not arguing about that. And then obviously the penalty save from from Freddie Woodman um, didn't surprise me. He's an outstanding individual. Uh, in 2014, saved saved a couple of penalties in the penalty shootout against the Dutch, which which we won. So. We were hanging on a little bit towards the end, Dino, but all in all, I think it was a great spectacle. And, uh, you know, so I think probably we deserve to come out as winners. No, I totally agree, PK. Um, I think Michael wants to just uh, ask another question uh, before we close. Yeah, PK, um, okay. uh, the reaction back home in England, I mean, we're a long way here in Australia. We, we haven't uh, picked up, obviously, the significance of it, but uh, just in your own social circles and uh, friends and family and more broadly, how, how has it been uh, received, the... The, the the win. It's been very well received. I mean, you know, and and so it should really. It's, it's a fantastic achievement from from everybody within the staff and all the players. And I think the country is very proud of that. Um, I, I just hope it kickstarts, you know, um, people's perceptions now of England that that you know that we 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 don't produce good players, we don't produce good coaches. I, I've always banged the drum here that I think we produce some outstanding young players. And I think we've got some outstanding coaches, and and I've just was at the pro license graduation dinner last night, and you know a lot of our managers and young managers and coaches are, 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 have gone through their qualifications last night and graduated, and and I just hope it kickstarts you know people believing in the English culture a little bit more around the world, and uh, you know that that's probably one of the the things I hope that will come out of this, but certainly the the feedback in within the country has been been first class. And what hopefully it'll also change is part of the culture of uh, of the younger English players wanting to play for the uh, for the, the the junior side, so to speak. Uh, it doesn't seem to have been uh, something that the English uh, uh, culture has, has encouraged as much as as other European uh, uh, teams have, and and it's and England suffered as a as a result. Yeah, possibly. You know, I think we've we've obviously know we've got a world market here where we are competing against um, <clears throat> you know many many players from around the world coming into England which which is great you know it, it, it's added a lot of diversity and a lot of quality to our national game and, and our domestic game but um, yeah I, I just thought maybe it might be that we can export a few more players around the world and certainly a few more coaches around the world and um, you know fly the flag for England which is uh, as a passionate Englishman I'm, I'm very proud of doing. Uh, you, and I bet you're equally surprised that you've got a bunch of Aussies. Dean, sort of slightly to one side, congratulating England for winning a World Cup. But yeah, congratulations, yeah. mate. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And it's, there's a lot of English people that have obviously gone across to uh, Australia and loving every minute of their life out there. And, mm. and I've been a, privileged enough to go to Australia three or four times now. And I need to get back again at some point and say hello to many friends out there. So uh, hopefully I can in the future. All right, John, just to close again, thank you very, very much. And uh, I'm looking My forward pleasure. to catching uh, up in November. Love to the family, Kaza. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, they talk about support crew. You've got not got a bad support crew behind you. No, no. No, I have to say my uh, family have been outstanding they and, uh, without their support. As we all know in life, you wouldn't get to where you get to. Of so, course. Uh, you know, fantastic. So we'll see you in Thanks November, all right? OK. Thank take, you, Mike. Take Thanks, care. Uh, Dino. All the very best to you. Cheers, Cheers. John. Cheers. Well done, John. Uh, right, thank you very much. Stick around after the break. Dino is going to remain with us because we're going to get into a lot more of the international news. The World Cup qualifiers uh, in Europe and around the world. Uh, that's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? The Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box on NTS News Talks. It's time to talk to Dino with all the international news. But Dino, before we get into it, 
We talked about this last week. Smoking is an insidious thing, isn't it? It is, yes. Uh, we're all very, very affected by it. Um, but yes, uh, especially nowadays, uh, it's really, really come down a, a long way from where it used to be, where everyone could smoke in all public places. So it's it's good that, you know, uh, we're all very conscious of this. Speaking of smoking, Rob's just had one. <laughs> I, I know, and for that, for that cop in the background, the non-smoker that I am, here I'm getting this spontaneous non-smoker's cough, if you heard it. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was deliberate, though. We set that up. Yeah, That's we what did, we do we did. on this show. Yeah. But the reason I bring it up is because, uh, yeah, even though we're a football program, I want to talk to you again about the AFL Coaches Association. This is Men's Health Week, and Chemist Warehouse, along with the AFL Coaches Association, want you to quit smoking with the Support of Nicorette. It's time to kick the habit with Nicorette and win the ultimate grand final getaway. Enjoy a night at Moodle Links, head to the North Melbourne Grand Final Breakfast and watch the grand final in style at the MCG. To enter, go to chemistwarehouse.com.au slash ultimate getaway. That's all thanks to Chemist Warehouse and the AFL Coaches Association. Dino, to quit smoking, you've got to get onto this. I definitely. I mean, luckily I don't smoke, so uh, the good news is uh, I don't need one, but certainly there's uh, there's certainly enough people around uh, the world that uh, most probably do so he's still going over he's there, still going way. yes uh, <laughs> absolutely light up a dart <laughs> or chew some nicorette which is what i would do if i was a smoker but i'm not i'll encourage everyone to do just that dino um some very 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 interesting results in europe over the weekend let's uh, give rob a bit of a break so he can have a glass of water yeah let rob uh, settle down let's uh, have a look at uh, what happened on the weekend but we have to start i mean we have to start with scotland well, we did. And England. Yeah, well, look, what we... a game that was! It was amazing, wasn't it? I, um, yeah, I just. Yeah, stiff for the Scots. Mm. Well, they yeah, they they were. Look, they were battered in the first half. No order they were. They were. I mean, look, if you if you look if you look at the table, I mean, we'll go through that in a little bit of depth. This is Group F we're talking about now. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Like I saw some social media where you go and you know what it's like to be an England fan, and then somebody's come back with you. Well. Now we know what it's like to be a Scottish fan because they've had far more worse luck than we've had. So um, they got themselves into an unbelievable uh, position. Two great, unbelievable, worldly free kicks. Um, And again, it's all right talking about Joe Hart. I think Joe Hart for the first one, but the second one, maybe his positional sense for it was maybe questionable. But at the end of the day, you've still got to hit the target. He looked confident. In fact, once it left his boot, the second one, which turned the game absolutely on its mm. uh, on its head. I mean, for for those Hamden who don't Park know much about the game, about 20 minutes to go, um, the Ox came on for as a substitute. Within four minutes, he'd scored, um, and then obviously England were in in control. One nil gets down to about the 90, sorry, the 80th sixth or seventh minute free kick outside the box um i think it was a free kick that particular one he took a great uh, free kick top corner um griffiths and uh, you know he plays for celtic his teammate of uh, rogic and then you're thinking well that's the game done now it's all done and dusted well anyway sure enough go back down again about 91st minute and to be fair, this is a bit harsh. The England uh, midfielder sl- slips just on, on the deck. And as he slips on the deck, um, Chris Martin of Derby, who's going back to Derby from loan from Fulham, he s- sees like he's going down. So he falls into him. And obviously, if he gets the free kick, he rides it quickly. So then again, free kick goes in, another goal. So you think now, Scotland, the place has erupted. Yep. And then... Uh, got the result. Like anything, corner comes in, gets cleared. And they're cleared, struggling in their group. And the, they <laughs> are. And it was a real must win. I mean, 
you know, had they won, they'd be on 10 points and England be on 12. But now it's still that six point gap, you know. So for me, Group F's really England and Slur. Slovakia and Slovenia on 12 and 11 and then the Scotland so it uh, ended up 2-2 and I thought you could be critical of the Scottish uh, keeper for the first goal I thought you could be but then he went on a he went on a spree where he saved about five no, England were the better team but uh, w- what a shame they didn't lose because we love the underdogs and Scotland being that much so that's group F done Dino let's go through these let's go back uh, up the top of the table uh, group A interesting to note massive game Sweden winning 2-1 that was Huge obviously game. the Lurie mistake in the that very very last yeah, uh, in the very last minute it's yeah. not very unlike Larice um, but that brings it all square so, so for those who didn't watch it it uh, Larice came off his line the Swedish player yeah he, um, he, he controlled the ball he went out a little bit then he tried to play a ball straight, straight in the middle of the, into the middle of the pitch straight to one of the Swedish guys who just like hit it and straight into the net and that was it it was like the very last kick of the game yeah. so all of a sudden it's turned the Turned the really, I think, this group not on its head in the sense of well, it's put more pressure on Netherlands. Absolutely. Well, well, Netherlands have actually got a five-nil win against Mm. Luxembourg, as we'd expect, um, which was really needed. Had they not got that, then I think they'd be not in touching distance. Now, Bulgaria threw away an unbelievable uh, chance against Belarus and got beat two-one, but are still hanging in there. But I just think, for me, it's going to be Sweden and France unless something happens. Group B, um, really not much to report no, here other done than and dusted. Yeah, done and dusted. Switzerland, results. Switzerland and, and Portugal, Portugal. Uh, both got good wins. So. Hungary, Hungary, disappointing. Uh, oh, and uh, if you saw the internet footage, was yeah. their fans telling them to take their shirts off? They didn't deserve to. Well, eight points behind, <laughs> they're not coming back from that. No, they didn't. And Group C, uh, Germany, uh, obviously home and host. Home and host, uh, just a romp, seven nil romp. Twenty-seven and one, so twenty-six goal difference. <laughs> <laughs> just quietly and uh, Northern Ireland uh, very good above the Czech Republic there by four points interesting mm. yeah look I think uh, Northern Ireland have got half a foot in there they just need maybe one one more one maybe two more results and they're, they're clear I mean Czech Republic you know are in touching distance it depends on what happens in the next round and your mob had a good result against Serbia but uh, it could have been better yeah they did uh, look Bale really well, we, we were missing a lot of players, to be fair, and yeah, uh, they went in with a lot. Is a pretty significant. Well, it, well, Bale is. I mean, but then again, Bale's not played for you know. Had, the only game he's played in the last few months is the cup, uh, yeah, the European Cup final. Euros, uh... But look, for me, it. it it's, it was a really good result. I mean, they've, they, I don't know heard about the goal, but the goal was uh, Aaron Ramsey little ding from a penalty, and then. Uh, Serbia um, obviously equalised, but 12 points for both them and the Republic of Ireland. That uh, 1-1 draw against Austria. Did, did you see that Paninka that he, he? It was like. Uh, it was audacious. It was very audacious, Cheap. and he's got that in his locker. Mm. But look, there's four games to go. The Welsh manager Chris Coleman's still very confident they can still turn this around, and possibly, if not, they might have to go through the playoff uh, process. Group E: Poland out in front by six points. Good on yeah, them. Three-one uh, win over Romania. Very, very good, and I think you can put. That them into the finals already and then really it's a really yeah, tight one the, that... the history of Poland um, qualifying to go to Russia who they're not exactly the greatest of mates with um, they're uh, not of history, no. uh, well that was uh, in terms of World Cup experiences the Poland and Germany match that I saw in 2006 was yeah. about as rugged as they ever get <laughs> and I reckon Poland and Russia would be rugged just quite well Poland 16 points so I think they've got one foot certainly in there and then it's really fighting out for that second spot with Montenegro who won 4-1 and also Denmark, who beat Kazakhstan 3-1. So it's 10 points each and six points behind the leaders. 
We spoke about Group F. We won't give England any more tripe about no. that. But Group G, Spain and Italy, uh, they're home and home. Done and 16, dusted. 16, 16 each. I watched a... that Italy game against Liechtenstein. They were only 1-0 up at half-time. Liechtenstein were going yeah, okay until yeah. the floodgates really opened up late. And Spain only <laughs> only Spain only just got a, a 2-1 win against Macedonia as well, who were only on three points. So that was, you know, one that... Uh, Certainly was needed to make sure that I mean for me that the group's already done and dusted. And that great uh, European country Israel in uh, Group G, uh, they're sort of out of it. Aren't they? The, they are out the, of it. The group, the group H was interesting because yeah, there was, was a lot of controversy yeah. in this. I don't know if you heard about it with the Greece and the Bosnian, Bosnian game, situation yeah, at yeah. the end of the game where it all got a little Which bit naughty. To have a bit of a controversy between. Yeah, Greece look, it, well, it, was, it look, wasn't good. Just quietly, it was uh, it was an all-in brawl of uh, of pretty old-fashioned proportions. It was. It was like the old days. But nil-nil draw, which kept it very, very tight. Belgium leading on 16 points. I think Belgium are through, and it's just really Greece and Bosnia to fight it out. Pardon the pun. And they did fight it out. Yep. Uh, group I, uh, Croatia and Iceland. Love this group. This oh, is a great this is, group. This is the group of this, death. This, 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 this is, is the it. group. This is where there's all this sorts going on. There's... Turkey, Ukraine. Uh, so let's just go through this slide. Uh, Croatia, 13 points. Iceland, 13 points. Turkey and Ukraine, 11 points. So there's a bit of work to do for um, Turkey and Ukraine, but Iceland just keep on. They're no one hit wonder, are they? I mean, well, no, they're no well, they beat they beat Croatia, which is a big scalp to get. Yeah. So obviously, you know, it was really, really. Imagine Iceland going to the World Cup. Uh, no, well, that's, well, it would be. I mean, they've been to Euros. There's no reason yeah, why they kind of did well in the Euros as well. So, anyway, now just quickly, we must we must go just go over to some of our. Concacaf, and we got the the um, which is what the, well. the North Central America and the Caribbean. Uh, basically, there've been two games over this little window. Um, so basically, as we stand right now, Mexico are topper on 14, where they picked up four points in their games. Um, so that was again, you know, a win and a draw. Costa Rica did the same, and and, and they're on 11 points. The US. Yes, as well, got four well. points. And, and, I think and it, track watchers. against Mexico. So that, that was a, a, it was. A, a yeah, which is always a huge game. The Mexicans hated it. Game. Well, they beat Trinidad and then they drew in Mexico, which was a really good result. Donald Trump was there watching the game. <laughs> track watchers would note that Panama uh, holds their position in fourth, fourth spot, that's right. which is potentially uh-huh, should yeah. Australia finish well, third. Well, that's why I highlighted in it in brackets. Uh, track watchers, uh, Green and Gold Army, Army members, uh, Panama, we can go there. Maybe we can knock on a few doors and well, ask for the uh, Panama well, papers well, the, at well, the, the same time. Well, the Panamanian General Manuel Noriega recently passed, so yeah, on a, uh, there might be a, a new broom of politics. On a job. really serious note, though, I think we would prefer, I don't think we're going to see Mexico or Costa Rica, but we would prefer Panama to the U.S., Oh, we would. And, oh, we would. And, and, and even Honduras, yeah. I'm not overly concerned about, and nor Trinidad. We, 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 we don't want to cop the USA. We enough. don't. No. We want USA to just cap, yeah. just, just in case, just tricky. in case the wheels fall off in our group, mm. which I, I don't think they will. Anything small for us to wrap it up, Dino? Because we are running out of time, brother. What was that? Oh, yeah, well, look, the Premier League's draws come out, so... Obviously, we're going to preview this a lot closer to when it starts. What's the opening, but opening games? Opening games are Arsenal, Leicester, uh, Chelsea, Burnley, Everton, Stoke, Manchester United, West Ham, Southampton, who've just sucked, sacked, sorry, not socked, their coach, Claude Powell, um, which is, I thought, a bit harsh. Eighth and a League Cup final uh, finish yeah, where they lost to Manchester United. Yeah, I so it's a tough game there. They, they play Swansea, Watford, Liverpool, 
West Brom and Bournemouth, but then most probably just giving the justice to the new boys. We've got Brian and Ovalbian against Manchester City, which will be a bumper. What a great game to start. Crystal Palace will host Huddersfield and Newcastle United will host Tottenham Hotspur, which, which will be a the, Which is probably the game of the round. Game week. of the round, I think. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, all right. Well, Dino, stick around because we, we've got to talk stop um, Confederations Cup and we'll, we'll get the group uh, together. Yeah. It won't be long, but we'll have a good chat about it in stoppage time. That's all next. On box to box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. They're just around the corner. And this could be the most crucial goal Welcome of all. Back to box to box. The fourth official signals there's six minutes left. In a special Confederations Cup edition of Stoppage Time. Dino, you're in the house. So, guys, there's eight teams in this competition. Uh, it's a pretty simple format, isn't it? So you've got the eight teams split into two groups. Each team plays each other once in their group, and the top two teams go through to the semi-finals. So, uh, so just working through the opening match, uh, and they're all sort of 1 a.m. starts, aren't they? So Russia v New Zealand, Portugal v Mexico, Cameroon v Chile, and Australia v Germany is the last match on Tuesday night. Dino... What's your observation on this, given what we've seen, particularly from an Australian point of view? Let's start with, with the Aussies. Yeah, look, I think we have to be, I think we have to be sensible. I mean, we've we've had some good results, irrespective of the performance. We've got through and got the points we needed to like get back in touching distance. We've noticed that Japan have gone away and got you know a, a draw, which has most probably really helped the cause as well, because it's only one point behind. We've beaten the team that are in second as well. Um, mm-hmm. So look, I don't think it's as much doom and gloom as everybody's portrayed. I mean, I know everybody likes to have a little. We haven't lost yet. We haven't lost. I mean, we're unbeaten. Um, you know, there was an earlier part of the show. I think Edge was talking about. You know, you know, you have to win the uh, Asian Cup and you have to do this to be able to say something. And I'm thinking, well, he has won the Asian Cup. So he can say something and irrespective if he wants to put pressure on himself and his team because he believes that's the way we should attack it, then that's his prerogative. He's the manager. Mm -hmm. And so far, I don't think you can complain. He's won the Asian Cup and he's unbeaten in this campaign. And I'm very confident they'll still get through with especially the last two games with regards to the World Cup going into this tournament. I think it's a great opportunity to see how we go. Absolutely. Look, uh, well, everyone's right behind them, and, and I think they'll acquit themselves pretty well. I'm worried about the depth. That's the, my biggest worry is about the depth because we know in, in tournament football like this, you do rely on your squad. Um, but a, what, what, what a great opportunity to, to front up against Germany. Um, Mark thinks they're weakened. I still think they're a pretty good team. I know they've got some headliners out, but they have a lot of depth. So, uh, And we've actually performed, uh, other than the dreaded 2010 World Cup match against Germany, we've actually performed pretty well against them in, ro- in well, recent Well, we drew times. last up, didn't we, we did, in the last yeah, 18 yeah. months and or so? We, and and we, uh, we lost them at the Confederations Cup uh, way back 4-3. Uh, but look, you know, there, there is um, an opportunity to do quite well. I'll get on to the history of that. We've got a pretty rich history in this tournament. We do. Keeping in mind, yeah. back when we were in Oceania, we couldn't make a bloody World Cup, although we did qualify eventually through Oceania. Um, we have made a final of this uh, back in 1997. Uh, we lost 6-0 in the final to yeah, Brazil, but we did beat yeah. Uruguay, a Harry Kuehl, a 92nd-minute winner in that one. Um, and then the next edition in 2001 was in Japan. We finished third, and we beat France in the group phase. And then in the uh, semi-final, we got knocked off by the home side, and um, we did beat Brazil, actually, in the playoff for third, and Murphy, so I'm assuming that Sean Murphy uh, scored in that one, and then you talk about that, uh, that was the the dreaded 2005 Confed Cup, right. which actually was the ultimate, that Frankie, was actually, Frankie that, was, Flower. that was the start 
of the renaissance, at least temporary renaissance of Australian football, because we went and lost 4-3 to Germany, but it we, is yeah. what a tip-turvy game. We lost 4-2 to Argentina. And then what sealed the fate of Frankie Flower was uh, Tunisia 2, Australia 0. And some scallywags started the website after that, sackfrank.com. And within 36 hours, he was sacked. And we're on the road. And to we haven't referred to him by his correct name. He is, of course, Frank, Frank Farina. Farina. And I dubbed him Frankie Flower because, in Italian, for those of you who don't know, Farina means flower. Mm. So, move on. There you go. And, of course, that paved the way for our very good friend of the show, Yusuf Inc., to come through. So, there we go. So, we owe a lot of thanks to that 2 0 win. And I never forget after that, um, Frank sort of said again, glibly, like, oh, well. I didn't realise. If I, if I knew we had to win the Tunisia game, we would have tried to win it. Well, I'm paraphrasing. You basically said, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a problem. You didn't think there was going to be a problem going to a tournament and losing three on the bounce, one of them being Tunisia. And uh, wowee. Anyway, so then uh, we came through and finished uh, third, I think, in Group B at the, the last yeah, one. Yeah, but Frank, I, mean, no, look, well, I don't one. think that's, um, that's we, we one, should mock the great Frank. Absolutely. Because, uh, it shouldn't be disrespectful know, he, of a man who uh, played for his country in great style and mm-hmm. did his best mm-hmm. he could as a manager. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't good enough, was it? Correct. He did win the NSL with the Strikers. Given yeah. that, back in, I think, was it 99? Yeah, pulled 42,000. Okay. I mean, just yeah. just talking on some, you know, older players of that ilk, uh, I listened to uh, Robbie Slater, Bozzer, John Aloisi and Adam Peacock, and they were talking about, you know, the old days when we were big and strong. And I'm going, well, I don't know if we want to go back to being big and strong and physical. I mean, I know we produce... You know, Miller, yet an ex not big we, and strong. We've got some big, not big and strong. Yeah, I like the fact we've got some big lads that can play. Right, guys, you know? okay, prediction: Who's going to win? What against Germany the or the Federations Cup? No, uh, <laughs> Germany, <laughs> Portugal. I'll go Germany. Germany, Germany, Portugal. Australia. <laughs> well done, Rob. Well done, Rob. <laughs> hey, I've got to be right at some time if I keep picking these. You'll be a big collective. You just you absolutely win. kiss a death big time. You've just <laughs> you've just harpooned our whole campaign. <laughs> Thank you very much. So that is full time on Box to Box. That was a, a great show, guys. Join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game. It's going to be a great uh, Confederations Cup. Three big games. We're going to be getting some bleary hours, but uh, we're looking forward to it. Talk to you next week.